This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the New Books Network. Today, I'm sitting down with Dr. Joyce Kincaid, Distinguished Professor of English at Utah State University, to discuss her recent book, A Writing Studies Primer, published by Broadview Press. A Carnegie Foundation Case U.S. Professor of the Year, Professor Kincaid's primary scholarly areas are in writing studies and undergraduate research. She has brought an impressive amount of this experience to the forefront of a writing studies primer. This volume introduces student readers to the development of writing across time and societies. The book incorporates autoethnography and asks readers to consider writing histories, influences, processes, and tools in their own lives. Designed for composition courses with a writing about writing focus or courses in writing studies, a writing studies primer is a unique introduction to writing through its material culture. I'm your host, Dr. Julia Gossard, Associate Dean for Research in the College of Humanities and Social Sciences and Associate Professor of History at Utah State University. Well, thank you so much, Joyce, for joining me today to talk about a writing studies primer. I'm delighted to be here, Julia. This is not your first book. You've written many books about writing methods, composition, English. But I think what sets this book apart a little bit is maybe the the method that you have encompassed within this book. You're talking a lot not only about different forms of writing, you're talking about 5,000 years of history here. You also embed a lot of autoethnography in here. And so I wondered... Why was that so important for you to be able to weave in to this particular book? Well, Chuya, I've been teaching writing for over 40 years. And through much of that career, those of us in the profession were always writing about other topics, the environment, food, civil unrest. And in 2011, a new book came out that really made some waves, and it was called Writing About Writing. And I thought, that is exactly what we should be doing. The subject of writing is writing. But when I looked at that book, as good as that is, and as paradigm shifting as it is, it was all about academic writing. 
It was about the readings that we as professionals do. And I guess in the back of my mind, I was thinking about writing writ large, the enormous history of writing and about getting students to connect with writing as writing mm -hmm. and seeing that complex history beyond school writing. I think that's really important when we ask students to think about writing about writing and to ask instructors to put that forward too, because it really puts that study right at the heart of your classroom experience. Why did you feel like it was something that you wanted to build your own experience with writing into this work? You mentioned autoethnography. Mm -hmm. And certainly what we know as writing teachers is if you can get the students to have a personal stake in the topic, then they can be hooked and it will transmit better for them in terms of a lot of information. So if I just had started with the origins of writing and say, let's look at cuneiform, let's look at hieroglyphics, without having them first turn the spotlight on their own writing, their own history as a writer, then that would not have been as effective. And when we do get past their own history of the writing and take up cuneiform and hieroglyphics, do you know what I asked them to write? What? I asked them to write their name <laughs> in cuneiform or hieroglyphics because that, again, is their personal stake. Mm -hmm. And they come away with their clay tablet or their papyrus uh, with their own name on it. And then it's, it actually becomes a keepsake. In the meantime, they're also learning about the technology of writing. Right. What did it mean to write with a wedge on a clay tablet or to write with a reed and ink on papyrus? So they're going to be building over the course of this book and the course of the class I teach that uses this book, a real insider look at how writing systems developed over time. Right. And that's, that's very apparent. I recently went to a talk that you gave about a writing studies primer and you brought various methods and technologies and tools where you asked the audience to really experiment with these different things. And it was really fun to see people, you know, trying to write in cuneiform or with hieroglyphics. You had a clay tablets, a typewriter, everything like that, and seeing their experiences. And I'm sure that you do that in your classroom. And it's very student-centered and student-driven. Absolutely. So when we get to classic Rome, for example, we're going to be just like the students in that time period using wax tablets. And what becomes very clear to them when they're taking their stylus on that wax tablet is that you cannot write in cursive. <laughs> you must print and write very angular on the letters. And there's like this aha moment that the writing material is going to dictate something about the writing system as well. Absolutely. That was the fun part of those conversations that we had is seeing how people were thinking about these writing forms. You look at 5,000 years of history in this book. That's a tremendous amount of time to be looking at in different writing forms, technologies, interactions with writing, different styles. I wondered how you went about researching this work. I'll mention first that it is called a primer deliberately because I have well over a hundred books about the history of writing, the technology of writing on my shelf. But a primer is 
going back to our colonial primer of being short, informative, even fun. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so that was my overarching structure for the book. How did I go about researching this book? Well, I would say I had intentional research and then I had unintentional research. So I was actually gathering material about this book before I even knew that I wanted to do a book. And much of it happened because I would just drop in during travels on what I thought were interesting museums, like the Pencil Museum, the site of the first pencil in Cumberland, in Derwent, actually, in England. And there I learned about this pure vein of graphite that was found in the 18th century in that area. And that shepherds started using this graphite wrapped in string to mark their sheep. And then it, someone said, oh my gosh, uh, what if we were to encase this graphite into some wood casing and make, voila, a pencil from it? Well, that's the kind of unintentional research I did where I just happened onto history of writing sites. When I was traveling in Egypt, I became fascinated with Seshat, the goddess of writing, and she is called She Who Is Foremost in the House of Books. Oh, that's great. I love Seshat, and her headdress is a papyrus as well. Well, then when I figured out that what I'd been doing was building a book, unintentionally, then I became very intentional about what I needed to do, outlining the various chapters of origins of writing, paper, writing implements, pencils, pens, typewriters, and the like, going through that. And fortunately, I was supported by a wonderful sabbatical leave from Utah State University, as well as grants from the Utah Humanities Council. And I literally went around the world visiting a couple of dozen sites, including the Jikji Museum in Korea, which is the site of the first movable metal type printing press. And realizing that Korea had beat Gutenberg to the punch by 75 years. Well, there's so much that really I was able to uncover and just some really neat kinds of uh, factoids, like the flat fact that uh, our term black market comes from graphite smugglers. <laughs> and they were immediately seen as guilty because whenever they raised their hands under arrest, they were black from the graphite they had smuggled. Wow. And ex exactly. And graphite, of course, has graph in it, which is our Greek foundation for writing. What I love about this book, as you said, as a primer, it's a short introduction, but it's also, as you said, fun. There's elements in here in which I can imagine students are completely engaged. In reading this, it opens up multiple opportunities for those in-class exercises and those you know, deep dives into different regions, different periods of history and different periods of writing form, but it still is that student-centric driven. So I wondered, thinking about this as a primer, especially for use in the classroom, how did you imagine both instructors as well as students to be able to interact with and use this book? Well, in my class, we do a lot of what I call DIY do it yourself. And what's particularly neat is that 
teams of students, pairs of students, take on a DIY to teach the rest of the class. So when we cut quill pens, then two students have learned how to do that, and I supply the feathers for them and the, the, the knives, the pen knives, I might add. <laughs> and so that's, again, where our term pen knife comes from, is cutting quill feathers for writing, and then making ink as well. Okay. When we're making paper, uh, we use my blender, uh, which is not going to be very good for margaritas, I don't think. After, after <laughs> this. Okay. But the blender, and then we have a little paper mill. And so we're taking recycled paper, blending it up, and then putting it in the screen, dipping it in the vat, and bringing it up and making a page of paper. I mean, this really helps students see that uh, in the history of paper, that it wasn't always wood. And in fact, wood is a wood pulp is a relatively new material in the making of paper. It was rags, it was hemp, it was many other different kinds of sources, as long as it's plant-based and macerated. And so that's our definition of a paper. So papyrus never has been paper. It's what we call proto-paper. Mm -hmm. I had a student actually in, we, so we both teach honors classes. Yes. And so I had a student who was either currently enrolled or had previously taken your course on this. And I teach a class about the age of revolutions. And so I was asking them, does anybody know what paper was like during this period? And he very enthusiastically raised his hand. He's like, I know all about paper because I made it in Dr. Kincaid's class and told me all about how it has to be plant-based and it has to be macerated in order to be considered paper and vellum and papyrus are not paper. So it was really cool to see how that DIY stuck with your student. And he was able to take that knowledge from that course into another course. And I'm sure that's something that's going to stick with him for a long time in terms of something that he realized, you know, I think he's an engineering major, but this is something for him where he's thinking about that history of technology and the ways in which humans adapt and how they use tools and resources around them. So that was really cool to see. Well, that's a great affirmation for the way we're, we're teaching this class and getting into that hands-on. I mean, that is a real philosophy for me for teaching. Mm -hmm. And I, I really cemented that concept when I was directing our undergraduate research program at, at the university here, is that if students have that tactile experience, it seems to cement the information and knowledge. And that became really crucial when I was planning how to teach this class on the history of writing. I think that this offers so many different ways for instructors to think about their teaching, to structure classes, and again, to bring students into that learning process. But I was so struck by what I learned in the book as well. So I wanted to ask you a couple of questions about this content. First, you know, you go over so many different tools and technology that are really interesting. So I wanted to know, what was your favorite tool or technology that you learned about in relationship to writing? I think it's going to be paper. And what put it over the top for me was that I was in France at a 14th century paper mill doing the tour of the paper mill. And, and I was the only one there with the, the guide. And I got to dip 
a very big screen uh, into the vat of paper pulp and lift that screen up and have the water run out of it. And what's left is a star big sheet of paper. <laughs> and then I got to take that screen over to the felt mat where it's going to dry and put it out. It, it was so fascinating to me that I, I'm, I'm taking a big stick and I'm swirling it around in the vat to mix up the pulp so that it'll distribute evenly on the screen. And, and that just blew my mind. And of course, at that time, paper was made from rags. And so we have then the whole rag man uh, right. coming along, picking up rags. We, we have England needing to conserve cotton f to make paper. And so they, they pass a, a law that you may only use wool for shrouds, for burying people. I mean, the, the paper just became just so fascinating as a part of material culture of right. writing. Yeah, definitely. And the way that paper really becomes centric to people's lives after people figure out how to make this, number one, very easily. I mean, it's not, I wouldn't say it's not labor intensive, right? You're talking about a big stick. You're talking about having to pull this through, the drying that's involved. But once people get the hang of that, paper becomes so central to lives, not only in terms of writing, but in terms of account keeping and receipts and sales of purchases. So, I mean, that's really interesting to learn about how you got to do that experience. It, it was fabulous. And what's interesting, that was a 14th century paper mill in the forest of France. Then I go a month later to Nepal <laughs> and I'm seeing a contemporary paper factory and they are making paper exactly the same way still that's so cool they've been making it the same way for 1500 years and and they actually put their paper on hillsides on the original screen to dry so i'm looking at literally dozens of large format brightly colored purple and turquoise paper pages on this hillside and it just it just blew me away that's really interesting to hear about some of the historical continuities and the ways in which these practices really span different cultures, different regions as well. But we're seeing how as humans, this is something that binds us together is writing and papermaking and the interactions with writing as well. So to, to think a little bit about the content as well, something I'm surprised to see you include was social media, really as the concluding content chapter. And I know that that's a, a very interesting form to include, but I was thinking more generally the internet, but you really dive deeply down into apps, into the way social media is a writing form and how this interacts. So I wondered why you wanted to choose social media specifically versus the internet. Well, obviously social media really connects to our students. The other aspect about social media is I wanted them to know this was not new, mm. that this goes back in history. And if we think about social media being any writing that is socially accessible by a community, then we're talking about graffiti on the walls of Pompeii. I want them to understand the long line of history that has resulted in our digital version of social media today. 
I do an assignment in one of my classes called a commonplace journal assignment, which is going back to, you know, 18th century colonial exchanges of information. And this is in that honors class I was telling you about the age of revolutions one where students are making this and they remarked several times. This is kind of like social media, but the colonial version, because they're picking out their favorite quote, they're analyzing it, and then they're helping each other analyze it further, presenting viewpoints, essentially a discussion, but a little bit more text-based that's there. But I was thinking about that when I was reading your chapter on social media, is that although, as you just said, this is a digital component, this is something that has existed for a long time in various writing styles and forms. Exactly. Joyce, is there anything else you would like to mention about either your inspiration for writing this, how you hope to have teachers or students interact with it, what you hope to see as a writing studies primer's legacy or life within composition and writing studies? I think one of the really important messages of this book is that we need to stop and look at our everyday objects with new eyes. Yes. So let's think about where that pencil came from how it was developed, how the computer was developed, how the typewriter came to be. You know, I've lived through that, that whole process in terms of my own education as a student, you know, pencils, pens, growing up to pens, markers, typewriters, computers. But I want them to, to really discover what may be hidden behind these everyday objects. The other thing I've just been absolutely fascinated about is as we have investigated their own favorite writing implements, Mm -hmm. many of them are very fond of analog writing implements. Mm. So we think about these students being digital natives. They've always had technology in their lives. As they write about their favorite writing implements, I'm seeing Pilot G2, Okay, Sharpie fine pen. I've even seen fountain pens and dip pens from students. And there's something about the tactile nature of those writing implements that really comes home to students. And I'm not giving up my digital world whatsoever. It's created the kind of efficiency and ease of writing that scribes have been looking for since the days of the clay tablet. But it, it does make me think that all writing implements are really important. That's a wonderful note to close on. Thank you so much for this conversation. I hope that everyone will pick up a study of a writing studies primer. Thank you, Joyce. Thank you very much.